What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Year of Plenty podcast. So this episode is going to be a little different than usual. I thought about you know how I could maybe bring a little change to the show or make it a little different, and I figured it would be fun to have kind of like a foodie round table. So I finally have enough funds to buy more equipment and mics, and uh, the plan with this round table is to you know invite other foodies, hobby cooks, hunters. Anyone who's pretty much interested in, you know, food and drink has something valuable to share and really, you know, wants to help others appreciate food more and uh, understand uh, where it comes from and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, the, the goal is that each of us can then bring a cool story or news, you know, from the f- food world to the round table and or, or even recipes or, or, yeah, other foods they've been exploring. So all that fun stuff. And uh, today we only have one other, you know, round tabler here besides me. He's my good friend, Michael Dorn. Dorn, how's it going? Welcome to the show again. What's up? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. So this is the second time you've been on the show. Uh, we did an episode, I think it was episode four, on low-carb diets and food, because mm-hmm. we've both been doing that for a while and, um, you know, just shared some of our experiences. So that's an episode you guys could check out. But uh, for today's roundtable, we've brought a couple articles or just things we think, you know, would be fun to talk about. And the very first one um, is called Five Foods the Internet Was Most Obsessed With in 2018. So we all know, you know, 2019 is here. It's January. And I hope all of you had a good start. But uh it's this article is kind of curious just to see you know what are americans searching for on google um and uh they listed five different foods that uh you know were popular in 2018 or things that people looked up and this article was on foodandwine.com so this is all based on google's recently released uh data you know of popular search terms so let's see what the top five things were in the food category Number five, keto cheesecake. Did not expect that. What about you? I wouldn't expect it to be top five. Um, you know, it kind of makes sense. Anybody who's made cheesecake before, you, you think about the ingredients and, you know, you really just need to swap out your sweetener and you have cheesecake pretty much. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what I was thinking too. I mean, the, the ingredients aren't complicated and I, I think that, you know, cheesecake is something that everyone loves. But for those that don't know what keto means, should we just go over that again quick? I mean, I guess if anybody doesn't know by now. Yeah. So uh, the keto keto is from the keto diet. It's a low carb diet that's been very popular uh, recently. And, um, you know, because a lot of new science has come out supporting it. And it's pretty much a, a very low carb diet that is high in fat instead of, you know, carbohydrates what do you i mean we've both been doing doing the keto diet for for a while so for us you know it's it's surprising to see that not uh, the fifth most researched search term in the food category was keto cheesecake i mean it doesn't it doesn't surprise me you know you hear more and more about it every day like you see you know dr oz is having people on talking about low carb diets and stuff like that so it's definitely getting more mainstream yeah, I mean, low-carb is kind of getting everywhere now. I mean, we even talked about it 
there's restaurants now that are like specifically list low carb um, foods on their menu. Like uh, what's that Chipotle that you sent me? Yeah, Chipotle has something. It's basically I think they basically give you double protein and then you know veggies of your choice. So it's nice to have that because it's it that's economic. You know, if you went there and said, "Hey, give me double meat." burrito bowl with nothing else in it they'd charge you you know whatever 16 bucks or whatever two meals would be so it's nice that they're making it more convenient for people i know uh noodles now offers zucchini noodles as a substitute for any of their pasta i haven't tried that but i'd like to i mean i i love zucchini noodles just making them at home yeah i mean I, i eat zucchini noodles probably at least two times a week. Yeah, they're really good. It's it's a surprising substitute. I was uh, definitely skeptical of it when I first heard about it, but uh, I'm definitely a fan. So uh, to bring it back to this keto cheesecake here, uh, the ingredients the article on foodandwine.com um, mentions here are for the crust, one cup of almond flour, and then four tablespoons of butter, Then for the actual cheesecake filling, it's 16 ounces of cream cheese, two large eggs, one uh, teaspoon of vanilla extract, and one teaspoon of fresh lemon juice, then a little pinch of salt, and one and a half cups uh, of, or one and a half of a cup of erythritol or a sweetener of your choice. How does that compare to like how you make your cheesecake? You know, I, I, I rarely even use a defined recipe for when I make cheesecake because it's really super hard to do wrong as as long as you get the proportions somewhat right it's you know it's going to be cheesecake like it's going to be a good consistency unless you really 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 mess up the ratios so you don't have to get too technical with it that sounds pretty much on par with what i've done i've even done it without the crust just if i don't have the time like uh, like a quick one what do you fill it in like a cup or how do you do that I would just put it in a, a baking dish and just use like maybe twice the cooking spray that I would use normally, you know, really, so you really don't get it to stick and then it'll just kind of create its own crust just due to the fact that it has eggs in it. That's pretty cool. All right. So number four on this uh, list is keto pancakes. Another keto thing. Um, also surprising to me. Uh, I haven't really made too many of these, but I think you have, right? Yeah. Uh, another thing that's really easy to not mess up. You can do it a lot of different ways, and it usually turns out pretty decent. Yeah. The end. And how do you usually make them? I've made them a lot of different ways. Um, obviously, you have eggs. The bulk of it's going to be eggs. And then uh, usually like you want to add some cream. And then as far as what you use is like a flour or something is up to your preferences or what you want to do. Like even um, some recipes say to use like almond butter or peanut butter. Instead of a flour? Instead of a flour. Oh, okay. But if you're using a flour, you'd, what I've usually done was mostly almond flour with a little bit of coconut flour. Coconut flour is good because it absorbs a lot of liquid. So if it's a little too runny, you can add a little bit of coconut flour. It's going to thicken it up. That's a good tip. I never 
thought about that. I've been avoiding the coconut flour because I think it absorbs too much liquid, but like using it as a little substitute there, that's a smart way to do it. And I, I mean, I heard you can make pretty good maple syrup substitutes too by like uh, mixing a stevia with a maple extract. Have you ever tried that? I don't know about making it. I know a lot of brands it, um, have maple-flavored syrups. Yeah. But do you like, have any, um, like, off the top of your head that you could recommend or you've tried? I haven't tried any, but I know Chalk Zero, we talked about them, I think, last time I was on. Yeah. They make one, and then I'm trying to think what else, what other brand makes them. Well, I mean, if not, you can try making it yourself by using some stevia and uh, maple extract. Mm-hmm. Personally, I'm just not the the biggest fan of all the extracts. Uh, I know there's some good ones, but I read this really crazy article the other day that some extracts like vanilla and strawberry are uh, sometimes made out of beaver glands and beaver urine. Did you know that? Yeah, isn't beaver used for used in perfume? Yeah, what do they call it? It's yeah, the glands are also used in perfumes. I think it's pretty crazy. Like, I mean, they call these extracts natural extracts, and they are. But you'd think like a vanilla extract comes from the vanilla plant, but then they use all these other natural ingredients to kind of derive that extract from. So they kind of you know do extracts from all sorts of things. Um, I'll find the article and, and uh, post it in the show notes for anyone who wants to read it. Still, um, you know, maple stevia syrup would taste pretty good on some low-carb pancakes with some butter i like that a lot so let's move on to number three on the list cbd gummies i mean no wonder right now that cbd is legal i think in the new farm bill they've made it federally legal in the u.s yeah i've seen a lot of stuff about cbd lately and I think it's kind of peaking in popularity right now, but I know it first popped up probably two or three years ago. So it's pretty much uh, a cannabinoid derived from uh, the hemp plant, right? It doesn't, you know, get you high like marijuana would, but uh, it has uh, effects like uh, it can lower pain and they use it against anxiety, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it basically holds all the effects of marijuana besides the like getting the euphoric high. effect. Yeah. And I mean, you, I'm, if you buy this CBD stuff, I'm sure you can make some cool foods, you know, for anyone who needs it, like medically. Mm-hmm. I've personally never tried it, but uh, I've, I've heard great things. I, I have a family member who uses a CBD cream on uh, her, you know, um, just parts of her body that hurt from joints. On joints, exactly, and yeah, she says it really helps. Yeah, I don't know too much about it, but I know a lot of people swear by it. Yeah, so uh, to me, it wasn't too surprising to see this on the on the list of the most searched um, terms regarding food here in the U.S. All right, number two, romaine lettuce. We all know why that is, right? Right? Why it's so popular? Yeah, I think this one. Uh, Got a lot of traction because a lot of people want a reason not to eat lettuce. <laughs> you think so? Honestly, yeah. Part of me does. Maybe 
maybe that's just me being cynical, but there's a lot of people who just really don't like the idea of eating vegetables. So any reason not to seems good to them. They'll take it. Well, <laughs> that's definitely one way to interpret it. Uh, I'd say the, the main reason is that back, I think, in around November, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention actually issued an alert to the U.S. citizens saying that, you know, you should stop eating, selling, and serving romaine lettuce because of an E. coli outbreak that was uh, linked to it. So the, these romaine lettuces had the E. coli bacteria on it. And I actually have a family member who got super sick at a restaurant with E. coli. Mm -hmm. Not fun. <laughs> Yeah, I remember there being a while where all the lettuce and salad racks at the grocery store were just completely empty for a week or so. Yeah, I mean... I mean, that was a couple times. It wasn't just the one event. There was a couple, I think. Wasn't there another one? I think there was something else. But, I mean, I, I'm not the biggest fan of romaine lettuce anyway. I'll eat it. I like it. But I'd much rather eat other leafy greens like kale. That's probably my favorite what about you? Uh, mostly spinach for me. Yes. Spinach, Popeye, right? <laughs> not canned, though. Yeah, not canned. The fresh stuff. Yeah, it's a weird thing with my parents being a uh, baby boomer generation. Um, All the vegetables they eat are canned. I think that's due to, uh, you know, them just growing up with that. But I, I, that does not appeal to me at all. My dad, my dad won't eat fresh asparagus. He'll just eat canned asparagus, which is, if That's you've ever crazy. had it, it's literally just gelatinous. I mean, I want to learn how to pickle asparagus. That's one of my big goals this year. Uh, regarding food, I want to learn how to pickle vegetables, but I, I love eating the fresh stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I can do frozen. Can't do canned. Well... There's, I don't think there's any more reason to fear anymore about romaine lettuce. They, from my understanding, they have lifted that ban or that uh, consumer, uh, what do you call that, like warning. Uh, I guess they, they got that E. coli under control there. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's something they're probably going to watch more often now, at least for a while. But yeah, I mean, that can happen to any vegetable, right? Well, yeah, it's... Uh, it's no fault of the vegetable. It's fault of the practices which they use to harvest them. It's probably what's causing them to have these outbreaks. Yeah, and I we're not experts on this, but it would be fun to look into this a little more. So uh, number one on the list of most Googled foods in uh, the U.S. in 2018. Drumroll, please. What do you think it is? Do you know? Unicorn cake. That surprised me. I had no idea what that was. I blame this one on Facebook. <laughs> I thought the article was joking, but then I actually, you know, looked at the Google Trends. And yeah, unicorn cake is number one. The number one most searched food in the US in 2018. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I, I know for a matter of fact I've seen some some BuzzFeed video of making unicorn cake or something on facebook so oh yeah i had to i immediately looked it up like what to see what it is and uh i mean some of these videos had like 20 million views so well, it it's must essentially be just a pull apart cake isn't it 
Well, the the lady how she was doing it, it was real. It, it was interesting to watch. Actually, I mean, it was art, you know, the way she's doing it. But to me, it's nothing I would I would want to do. I'd much rather eat some real veggies. And to me, it's also kind of a little sad to be honest that that's the most searched food in in the U.S. Uh, because you know, I was hoping like some vegetable or some like traditional recipe would be on there, but. No, it's some uh yeah, super sugary, not real looking unicorn cake. <laughs> but either way, still kind of cool to know. All right, the next thing that we want to talk about is dietary cholesterol. And uh me and Michael, you know, we've been on this low carb diet eating very high fat foods for the last, I don't know, like two and a half years now. And, you know, there's always, there's been this big scare about dietary cholesterol in our culture here in the West, especially in the U.S., telling us that, you know, cholesterol is the worst for us and it'll clog your arteries and whatnot. Well, it seems to be that that is not the case um, if you're eating like just a a low-carb diet Uh, and actually the FDA sort of food and Drug Administration um, has lifted its ban, or not ban, but its restrictions on dietary cholesterol a long time ago, I think, and no one's really talking about it, or a lot of people don't notice. So what do you have to say to this, Michael? Yeah, so the big thing for me is coming into this new year is how often people ask me about my cholesterol, which cholesterol is fine. Because you're on the high high-fat diet, right? That's what I ask you. Cholesterol is actually pretty great. I don't remember the numbers offhand, but I'm doing pretty good. I mean, you need it, cholesterol. It's Your body needs it to create all sorts of hormones. It's necessary for uh, the cell wall in your your cells and all that. Well, I guess before we get into that, the big problem is people don't understand the difference between your blood lipids and dietary cholesterol is they're they're not tied together at all so i still get this brought up like uh don't you don't you eat too much cholesterol well in 2015 they the fda got rid of the recommended daily allowance for cholesterol so the restriction or whatever the yeah. guidelines pretty and much. back then i think it was 300 milligrams a day which is about two egg yolks. Wow. <laughs> and that they, they found um, that it just wasn't tied to it. The science? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so many people are afraid of, uh, you know, egg yolks because of the cholesterol, and they literally don't eat them. They'll just eat egg whites, mm. even though it's silly because the, as we know now, the FDA literally removed all their restrictions on it. And the egg yolk, for example, is packed with nutrients. I mean, it's got all kinds of stuff in there. Yeah, it's a powerhouse. Most of the nutrients are in the yolk. For sure, yeah. Um, Thing I'm dealing with right now is my dad has high cholesterol, and I've been trying to explain to him that the science is not the same as when, you know, as when he was younger. I'm like, it's literally been four years since the FDA got rid of this and people still aren't really catching on to it. I think it's getting a little more mainstream, but 
I still get asked about it really often. And the concerning thing is, is that, you know, when people are trying to watch their cholesterol and they're cutting out these, you know, really wholesome whole foods like eggs and, you know, beef. Some fatty cuts of meat. And they, you know, they're going to substitute this stuff with probably more grains, uh, you know, high sugar fruit. Yeah. And cholesterol in your body, your blood lipids, is a biomarker of inflammation somewhere in your body. So, you know, if you're up your grains and sugar in turn you could and you probably will increase your inflammation well yeah that's that's something that i've heard a lot of uh you know like uh people in the health community talk about is that what you definitely don't want is high sugar high blood sugar and a lot of cholesterol that that mixture of like you're eating a lot of refined carbs and you know eating a lot of cholesterol isn't the best for you but dietary cholesterol, dietary cholesterol by itself, you know, really isn't anything bad if you're doing, if you're avoiding all these super refined carbohydrates. Well, I see a really big parallel between dietary cholesterol and dietary fat, where people made the assumption that fat was instantly turned into fat by the body if you ate it. So there is this parallel assumption that if you ate cholesterol from an animal, it would instantly be turned into cholesterol in your body. But that's not how it works. Your cholesterol is turned into, you know, hormone precursors. I mean, all the sex hormones rely on uh, cholesterol. Yeah. It's just there, there isn't a mechanism for cholesterol from an animal to become your cholesterol. Your cholesterol is made by your body. And when you get a cholesterol blood test, it's testing the cholesterol that your body made. You know? Yeah, makes sense. And I mean, you know, we're not doctors, so this is not like any medical recommendations we're giving here, but it's just something we thought we would bring to everyone's attention that the F even the FDA got rid of all their dietary cholesterol guidelines. And whoever wants to learn more about this now, you know, can go out and do their research themselves and, you know, make their own decisions. But it's just something I think people should know. That's said on cholesterol. Uh, another thing I wanted to bring up here in the show is cast iron cooking. It's uh, something I've been wanting to get into for a while. And I finally started cooking with some cast iron cookware. And uh, in Germany this Christmas when I was visiting my dad, he's got a awesome Dutch oven. And uh, we made some meat, like almost like a stew over the open fire. And, you know... I'm a sucker for those kind of things. Outdoor cooking, I'm I'm in, you know. Um, traditional and uh, something, you know, that people have been doing forever. So that's stuff that attracts me a lot. So me and Michael both uh, got cast iron skillets or pants, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and then, you know, they usually come with like pre-seasoned. Um, but we decided to take the seasoning off. And the seasoning is pretty much like a a layer on it that that's a non like acts as a non-stick layer for the food. I don't know too much about the science behind it, but I do know that 
a lot of what the factories use is what they call a drying oil, which is an oil that condenses down to like a thin, thin layer. Think about it like evaporating down in a sense, like reducing down into a sauce. Yeah. But then it creates a nice coating over the metal. Yeah. So it's pretty much, you know, cast iron is the material. And then if you were to cook just with that, all your food would pretty much stick. Well, the thing about, cast iron well iron in itself is very porous so without the coating it would be awful and then when you put that coating on there i it fills in the little pores and makes one you know solid surface like a slick layer yeah Yeah. and uh that will then in turn allow you to cook on it and it'll act like a non-stick layer kind of but uh so we bought them they were already pre-seasoned i didn't trust the seasoning on there so uh we decided to you know make a giant fire at michael's house and just burn all that seasoning off so we literally just took our pans and yeah threw them in the fire on the embers and left them in there for like what half an hour yeah about about a half hour yeah and you even made a little, you had a little cast iron, um, what, what would you call that, a pan or uh, a little dish? Crucible maybe, I don't know. Yeah. A little rectangular, I don't know, dish. So that took about half an hour and then it comes out and you can tell, it looks totally different, you know. You can tell the seasoning burned off. And then to re-season it, we, uh, what I did, I took lard because uh, that's the traditional way of doing it. I took lard. And what you want to do is take your cast iron cookware and put a thin layer of whatever fat you have. Uh, I mean, olive oil, some people use, a lot of people use, I think you said grapeseed oil, right? It's pretty yeah. popular. I just wanted to try lard because that's a traditional way of doing it. And um, yeah, so I pretty much coated the whole thing in a thin layer. And then you put it in the oven for a little over an hour at uh, whatever your fat smoke point is so all you know your oils and fats have a smoke point at which they pretty much begin to burn or um, you know start to smoke and um, that's what I did at least so I had it a little over the smoke point and had it in there for like an hour and with lard I contacted a a guy on Instagram called Dutch Oven Daddy (laughs) check him out if you're interested in Dutch oven cooking and uh, he told me with lard he likes to do three to five seasoning so he likes to put in the oven three or five times until you know that the, the seasoning really establishes and a nice layer is added to the to the material to the cast iron so you can cook with it how many times did you do it or what oil did you use um i used rendered beef fat because that's just what i have a lot of and actually had a sand well, I didn't have to, but I decided to sand mine before because it was pretty rough. It was, I, my brother-in-law gave it to me and I don't know where he got it from, but I'm going to go out on a limb that it was probably made in China and it was pretty rough. So I sanded it down with, uh, I think like a hundred grit sandpaper, which is pretty fine. And I just kind of knocked down some of the the roughness and then i you know got rid of the seasoning 
and then started from scratch. And I think I did about four or five seasonings with the beef fat at about 350 degrees. Yeah, that that sounds about right. And, and then I accidentally burnt some of it off. So I had to restart some parts, and I just did that a couple times, and it's it's not perfect now, but it's good enough. Yeah, and I mean, we're we're learning about this right now, too, and just thought it would be fun to share with you. Maybe it, you know, it motivates you to do some cast iron cooking, too, because it's, I mean, it's actually kind of cool. The uh, the cast iron, I guess you you actually absorb iron through it when you cook with it. So, you know, there's some people that are iron deficient in our culture today. They could really benefit from cooking with cast iron, I'm guessing. I like the way the food turns out. Like, I, I used mine for the first time today, and I made eggs in it, and the eggs cook totally different than any other pan I've ever tried them in. So they really, it just really cooked them evenly, and, and they were a little crispy on the bottom. It was great. Yeah, it's got a really, like I, like I said, I don't know the science behind it, but it seems to have like a really good browning property. Like if you put some, you know, beef in there, like I do like fajitas in it, it'll really give them a nice brown. You know, they're not going to get soggy, I guess. Yeah. I don't know why that is, but. Well, I think it, uh, from what I read, is that the, the material cast iron, it retains heat super well, and it spreads it really evenly throughout the whole skillet. So you're always going to get this, you know, an even amount of heat. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, but yeah, I'm, that's what I read. I, I hope I'm not saying anything wrong here. But yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to really getting into cast iron cooking. I want to get a Dutch oven, which is like a, a big pot for anyone that doesn't know. And I want to build like a little outdoor kitchen so I can just, you know, have some fun out there and do some cool foods, invite some friends and family over. That'll be fun. Yeah, one thing I learned with my pan is you have to be careful not to get the pan too hot or you will burn off your seasoning. Yeah, I mean. Because I had, I had two probably, I don't know, egg-sized patches of just bare metal. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not good. So you just want to make sure you have a good seasoning on there. And then cleaning it is a whole nother thing of its own. I'm going to do a an episode on cast iron cooking eventually uh, once, you know, we gain some more experience. I think that would be fun. And it's something that I think more people should be doing. First, just because it's, you know, a traditional way of cooking and it's it just makes the food turn out really nice, in my opinion. Yeah, and once you get used to it, they are really low maintenance. And you can grill outside. Like, I just love the idea of cooking over open fire. So the last thing I want to talk about here in the round table is, uh, or the last thing I want to discuss are cool recipes or foods that we've been uh, kind of experimenting with. Have you? Do you have anything you want to share? Uh, nothing really. I mean, I'm pretty boring when it comes to cooking these days because I'm just kind of eating for nutrition. So it's mainly just meats and vegetables. Simple stuff. Yeah, I mean... I mean, a, lot, a lot of eggs, so then I get the question how my cholesterol is. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I love, I'm all for simple food, you know, just 
searing up some uh, meat and uh, cutting up some vegetables and 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 making those warm and, and making adding some spices. You know, you can you can really do a lot with uh, just a few simple ingredients, and it doesn't really get boring to me ever. Yeah, and uh, it's nice just to run everything in one pan. Then you have less dishes to do. Yeah, it goes fast. Uh, well, for me at least, I've been I've been playing with a or I've been experimenting with a lot of different things, but uh, something I really wanted to share that I made last week was uh, it's like pretty much a low carb enchilada. So instead of you know using the grain for the shell of the enchilada or the outer layer, you actually melt cheese. So what I did, I got some Organic Valley um, cheese. Shout out to Organic Valley. I like their products a lot. So, uh, you know, just some organic cheese that I spread out on a on a baking dish. Um and I, I put it in the in the oven for a little bit, just let it melt. Uh once it melts, it'll, you know, create a sheet of cheese pretty much. You let it cool. And then you can just kind of, you know, cut out your whatever size you want for your enchiladas. Uh and it kind of acts like a tortilla. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds sounds pretty good. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's very fatty. So for those of you out there that, you know, don't want that, that might not be the best idea. But if you're looking for some good food, it tastes awesome. Then on the side, I had um, bison meat because, you know, you've been like cooking bison a lot. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try some of this too. It's pretty lean. It tastes good though. But uh, what I did, you know, I added some, some bacon to it and, um, I had uh, some veggies on the side. I made. I took like peppers and um, so I took peppers, green peppers, poblano peppers, and uh, onions, and I fried those up in a pan with some uh, butter. And to the to the ground bison, I added a little bit of uh, taco seasoning. And voila, you know, you just make your uh, enchilada that way. Stuff that melted cheese um, sheet with all those ingredients, roll it up and, you know, have some hot sauce to it and you pretty much have a easy and fast low-carb enchilada. I kind of made something similar, just kind of a destructed burrito bowl with cauliflower instead of rice. And that's smart, like, so you made cauliflower rice with it. Yeah, and then I usually just add taco seasoning to the, the cauliflower itself because it kind of cauliflower still kind of has that cauliflower taste which really isn't something you, you want with a Tex-Mex dish doesn't really fit in well that's true so you can kind of mask it with the taco seasoning well kind of like a Mexican rice I mean you can buy cauliflower rice but what I've seen is that they add a ton of sugar to that I don't know why it's unnecessary in my opinion so what I just do is I I take cauliflower and I, I grind it up in a blender to get to that, you know, rice kind of size and consistency. And then I just uh, put it in the pan and with some butter and cook it up there. How do you do it? Um, I just buy it from the store. And I think you might be leave, reading the label wrong because the, the sugars on the label are the sugars within the cauliflower. Well, I had some and it actually had like added sugar to it. That's weird. Yeah. Usually, I get Green Giant. It's the most common what they have everywhere. Otherwise, there's generic brands that are good too. I think Meyer has their own brand. 
Otherwise, there's another one. What's another one? Bird's Eye. It's pretty big. Okay. Or you can just, you know, get to, if you want to go through to work, just get to cauliflower and kind of make it yourself. It's not hard. But, uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy, you know, being on this low-carb diet, uh, Mexican food's actually, you know, pretty easy to, to make, low-carb. I mean, you well, you can't have the corn, which I guess is a big factor, and the tortillas, but like I just showed you guys, you know, with some melted cheese, you can kind of make something similar. I mean, or even I've seen you can, well, maybe wait a little while, but you can use romaine lettuce in place of a tortilla. Yeah, that's another thing. I love, uh, like, lettuce-wrapped stuff, food. It's awesome. Uh, well, and the second thing I, I wanted to share is... uh I've been making a lot of omelets lately and they're so easy to make and I don't know why I haven't been, you know, making them more in the or in the past. But uh so with omelets what you want to do is t- I usually take 3 eggs, I put them in a cup and uh I take a fork and I, you know, I violently <laughs> what would you call that? Sh- um whisk um and uh then I what I've heard from a from a family friend who's a uh, a really good cook, he always adds a little cream, which makes it a little bit more, you know, uh, fluffy, I'd say. But uh, since I've been making a lot of kefir, uh, and you can actually check out episode five, I think it is, which is uh, where I talked all about kefir and its health benefits and what it is. Um, but it's pretty much fermented milk. And I added that just as an experiment to my uh, omelet eggs and uh it's crazy like it makes it super puffy and super flaky if you like that consistency it's just a very soft omelet that's very that really opens up uh when you cook it so you kind of got to be a little careful when you when you flip it and all that but um i usually just you know take whatever i whisk up put it in a pan cook it for a little bit when i see that uh the bottom is bottom is hardening i uh put some cheese on one half fold it in half put a lid on top of the uh, pan and just let it sit there for a little longer until it cooks thoroughly you know if you, do you like omelets at all i make them when i feel like putting in the effort but most of the time i'll just you know kind of throw everything in some eggs and just kind of fry it up i'm always thinking about you know what is it better to eat the eggs sunny side up or in an omelet because sunny side up i feel like preserves the egg yolk a lot more and all the nutrients and uh fats in there whereas you know if you make scrambled eggs or an omelet that egg yolk is you know getting mixed into uh the egg white and probably exposed to heat a lot more than you know just the egg yolk if you're making a sunny side up egg so i don't know but it's just something i've been thinking about lately I think it's probably not going to be a deal breaker and make a huge nominal difference, maybe a little bit. I think it just depends kind of on what kind of what kind of uh, aesthetic you're going for with your meal. Yeah. Well, if any of you guys know that uh, about that, if it does make a difference nutritionally, uh, leave a comment or send me you know a message on Instagram. It's at Poli Wheeland. Uh, I'd be just curious to to find out, because I've kind of been switching it off, 
just to make sure you know that I'm getting all the nutrients that I, I want to get from the egg yolk. Yeah, usually for me, it's just a time thing. You know, just straight up scrambled eggs is the fastest way to go. It's definitely the fastest. All right, man. I think uh, we covered all our topics that we want to talk about here in this very first round table. How did you like it? Do you think you like this kind of format? Yeah, I think we need to get some more people, though. Yeah, no, that's definitely the plan. So uh, I have the funds now. I'm going to get more mics. And then the, the plan is to get, you know, up to four people here mm-hmm. into the into the show and have everyone bring some recipes or some cool stories or news and share it with everyone. All righty. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. And thanks for being here, man. Sounds good. Well, uh back here next time have some different stuff to talk about uh, that's what i'm hoping all right see you man all right everyone that's the end of the episode i hope you could all you know gain some value from it and uh, learn something new if that's the case please rate and review the show you can do that on your uh, podcast app wherever you're listening that's really going to help you know new listeners find the show and increase the community here also if you like the show please share it with your family and friends And of course, subscribe. If you subscribe, you'll always get new updates as soon as I release new episodes. Subscribing is pretty easy. All you really have to do is go to my website, which is www.theyearofplenty.com. Over there, I have created a subscribe page. Just click on that, and then it'll give you an option uh, to subscribe to whichever platform you prefer. The show is now also on Spotify, so that's exciting uh, for anyone out there who hasn't been using Apple products or just likes using Spotify in general, I encourage you to go over there and and check out the show. All right, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I have a lot of cool episodes planned for the future. So I'll keep coming out with new ones. Uh, Just give me some feedback. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. That way I can make the show better. All righty. See you all and have a great day.